Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to the podcast of Community Bible Church. Serving the Rogue Valley from Central Point, Oregon. We are a multi-generational family. Equipping believers to be adopted in, growing up, and reaching out through the gospel. We're going to be in Joshua chapter 1 this morning. Uh, Last week we talked about when transitions don't go well, when they go poorly. Uh, We're going to follow that up and talk about this week uh, when they do go well and what we can expect and how we can can react to that. So uh, Joshua chapter 1, Moses has died. Let's read what happens. Uh, Just that whole chapter is what we're going to read. You follow along in your copy of God's Word. It'll be on the screen as well. Joshua chapter 1, verse 1. After the death of Moses, servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all the people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, and all the land of the Hittites, to the great sea toward the going down of the sun, shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And Joshua commanded the officers of the people, pass through the midst of the camp and command the people, Prepare your provisions, for within three days you are to pass over this Jordan to go in to take possession of the land that the Lord your God has given you to possess. And to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, Remember the word that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God is providing you a place of rest and will give you this land. Your wives, your little ones, and your livestock shall remain in the land that Moses gave you beyond the Jordan, but all the men of valor among you shall pass over armed before your brothers and shall help them until the Lord gives rest to your brothers as he has to you. And they also take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving them. Then you shall return to the land of your possession and shall possess it, possess it, the land that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you beyond the Jordan toward the sunrise. And they answered Joshua, all that you have commanded us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with 
Moses. Whoever rebels against your commandment and disobeys your word, who, whatever you command him shall be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. Those are the words of God. I, um, I like to watch cooking shows sometimes. Don't judge me. I like to watch cooking shows. Now, that does not mean I do a lot of cooking. Janelle does most of the cooking in our house. But I definitely eat. And, uh, and I want to be prepared to sort of properly adjudicate the food that is put before me, right? And so uh, I've watched the great British baking show. Have you watched that? Okay, three of you have watched that. I know when a pudding is a little bit stodgy, as the Brits say. Right, Alex? Alex is my nephew's here from London. I've watched barbecue shows, so I know that I'm looking for a nice bark on my meat. Um, I've watched The Experts, so I know that I'm supposed to taste for seasoning at every level. In short, I'm really a joy to eat a meal with, because <laughs> I know what I'm talking about. One of the things I've learned along the way is there's that little extra quality, right? That little extra quality that the great chefs seem to bring to a meal. And sometimes we might refer to it as a secret ingredient. But, but we know that's not really true because these chefs have been trained for years. Um, they, they, they know what they're doing. And you and I can follow a recipe exactly, and it turns out kind of sort of similar to what a great chef has created, but, but without that something special, right? These uh, men and these women who are chefs, they've cultivated their skill. They're, they've, uh, they've had years of training, and, and the really unique chefs have a combination of imagination and creativity and artistry that sets them apart from everyone else. Now, just like me with my cooking shows, lots of people consider themselves experts in areas that they have little or no practical experience. They've just observed other people. So there's all kinds of sports fans that criticize the coaches of their favorite teams or the GMs of their favorite teams. Or some of you perhaps know that there are simple solutions to the complex political problems of our day. And if politicians would just follow your advice or your thinking, um, they could do better. Employers uh, think that there are answers to their supervisor's dilemmas, and they're readily apparent, why don't they just do this or do that? But that's not always the case. And we're talking about leadership, and we're talking about transitions this morning, as we have been for several weeks, and I think that a good leader is kind of like a good chef. They have that little something extra. And in transition, the presence or absence of that secret leadership ingredient can be especially notable. A good transition in spiritual leadership takes the Lord's hand, it takes good men, and it takes spiritually receptive people. So as we look at this passage this morning, we're going to see one of those God-honoring 
transitions. And I want to suggest to you that this passage gives us a little bit of a recipe, four ingredients for a good transition. And they are, these are the ingredients. It's a faithful veteran, a courageous leader, an involved team, and a responsive people. So let's look at these ingredients this morning. Right in the beginning of the passage, the book of Joshua picks up where the book of Deuteronomy ends. If you were to just flip back to the last page, you will discover Moses has died and it's time for a new leader. But as the book of Joshua opens, it again memorializes Moses. It says about Moses that he was the servant of the Lord. Now look, because it's interesting. This book named Joshua, in contrast to Moses, the servant of the Lord, calls Joshua Moses's aide or Moses's assistant. In fact, it won't be till the end of the book, chapter 24 of the book of Joshua, that Joshua earns that title, the servant of the Lord, Joshua 24, 29. But Moses has earned this title, the servant of the Lord, over 80 plus years of, of ministry, of leadership, and of service to the Lord. Moses was a prophet like no other, par excellence. And if you go back to that last page of the book of Deuteronomy, there's sort of a postscript, and it says this, there has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. Unique. Even as we fast forward to the pages of the New Testament in Jesus' day, the people of Israel still were impacted by Moses. They had three kind of guys that they looked to. Moses, David, and Abraham. Those are their patriarchal heroes. 1,500 years later. And uh, here's Moses' service to the nation and service to the Lord still looming large as it ever was. Moses was revered because it was clear that he operated with this, the power of God's spirit to accomplish God's purposes. In fact, if we look at that same postscript, it finishes this way. None like him for all the signs and wonders that the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all the, his servants and to all his land. And for all the mighty power and all the great deeds of terror that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. Moses sounds like an impressive guy, doesn't he? And he was. But if we think back to the beginning of the story, we recall that he was really reluctant to do these things. He, he said things like, oh, I'm, I'm not really anything. I don't speak well. The people won't listen to me. He, he was putting off God's commission to him as much as he could. But then what we learn about Moses is that there is this unique spiritual power that comes to him as he makes himself available to be God's man. And now, the time has come for Moses to finish his commission from God. But fortunately, he's been planning his own transition from the early days. That faithful veteran has raised up a courageous leader, or at least a leader he's going to challenge to be courageous, to follow him. So look at the end of verse 1 and following. And oftentimes when we hear about the idea of courageous leadership, we think of this great visionary person. 
This person who can articulate his own designs and his own plans and chart his own course in life. But in this passage, that's, that's just not the case. Joshua is called to be faithful to God's unchanging plan. The transition from Moses to Joshua in this passage emphasizes this continuity of leadership. In fact, four times, verses 5, 7, 13, and 15, we hear about how things under Joshua are going to be the same as they were under Moses. For instance, look at verses 2 and 3, and then verse 5. We read this, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all the people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I've given to you, just as I promised to Moses. No man shall be able to stand before you, he goes on in verse 5, the Lord speaking to Joshua, all the days of your life, just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Same commission for Joshua as for Moses. Same presence and power to guide him. And and that's important because uh, just as it was with Moses, the people are going to have, despite what they say at the end of the passage, they're going to have a lot of their own ideas about how Joshua should lead. In fact, in this whole account, Joshua is just presented as a new Moses. There's all these parallels. Uh, Just as Moses, for instance, parted the Red Sea, Joshua is going to part the Jordan River. And the parallels go on and on and on. The book of Joshua at the beginning presents Joshua as a new Moses. But like Moses, it might have been true that Joshua is suffering from just a little bit of self-doubt. Can I do it? Will they listen to me? Who am I? And so Joshua's commission from the Lord is very, very clear. Verses 6 and 7, the Lord tells Joshua what it's going to take to fulfill his commission. Be strong and courageous. For you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give to them. Only be strong and very courageous. And then the Lord says, be careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Don't turn to the right, the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. See that? He's going to be a man of character and a man of strength. That's what he's being called to. But the strength and the character doesn't come from his own independence. It doesn't come from his own innovation in leadership. It comes in adherence to what God had laid out for the people to do. First through Moses, and now through his word to Joshua. And he doesn't leave it there. In the very next verses, the Lord makes it clear what will be the source of Joshua's strength and courage. It's a commitment to to God's word. Look at verses 8 and 9. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. 
for then I will make your way, then you will make your way prosperous and you will have good success. And then he comes back to that command. Have I not commanded you, verse 9, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And so in the space of a couple of sentences, three times, the Lord says to Joshua, be strong and courageous. I don't think Joshua is some kind of leadership prodigy. I don't think that's what he is. His, his strength and his courage is not derived from like inner fortitude from his unique personality traits from a leadership seminar that he attended and then expertly implemented his strength comes from the presence of of the Lord in his word leaders of God's people leaders of the church are successful when they follow God's word. And both Moses and Joshua waited to hear from God. And then they relayed his word to the people. That, that, that was their consistency in leadership. That's why there was success under their leadership. You want, you want a leader... We want a leader who has an inclination and an ability to hear from God. And the good news is that God still speaks today. He spoke to Moses face to face, right? He spoke to Joshua. Joshua got direct communication for God. Now, we're not necessarily expecting the same thing in the same way, but the bottom line here is that Moses and Joshua were also given God's word as the ultimate communication, just as you and I have. God still speaks today. And in God's charge to Joshua there in verse 8, there's this strategy for how a leader or how a believer should approach listening to God. Look at it again, verse 8. We should listen continually to his word. It shall not depart from your mouth. We should listen consistently. We are to look at it and meditate on, on it day and not, night. We should li listen carefully. That's the idea behind meditation. It's to roll around in our head, in our heart, in our mind. And we should listen with an intent to obey. Do according to all that is written in it. CBC, do you want a strong and courageous leader? A leader who will speak for God? A leader who will operate with the power of God's Spirit? This is a leader that's steeped in God's Word. I wrote those words and I thought of Jim Wally. Some of you remember Jim who, was, who led worship here for years and went to be with the Lord a couple of years ago. He would always pray. I would all, he, he would always pray right before we preached. Lord, let Pastor Kevin or Pastor Pete or whoever was preaching, let him be like a, a tea bag, you know, just steeped in God's word. Do you remember that? It was always such a cool, fun prayer. Let him be like cookies dipped in the milk. 
the milk of God's word. I would just always smile to myself and then I knew I was ready to preach, man. When Jim had prayed for cookies and milk. And now I'm hungry. <laughs> I just ask you, would you pray for me in this, in this pursuit? Uh, that I won't get distracted and that when distractions come, that I'd have the strength and the courage to remain focused on the Lord and on his word. And pray for yourself in that as well, right? And then look at, look at the promised results for Joshua. End of verse 8. If his leadership remains tuned to God's, to, God, to God's plans, to his words, he says this, then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. The implication isn't that he brings about his own prosperity, his own success through his own effort, but that his reliance on God's spirit and his adherence to God's word are the things that generate success and prosperity. So we examine the part of a faithful veteran, ingredient number one. We look at a courageous leader, ingredient number two. And now the passage turns its attention to the people under Joshua's leadership. And uh, we're going to see that in order to have a successful transition, you need ingredients three and four. Joshua needs an involved team and a responsive people. Look at this, verses 10 and 11. Uh, uh, Joshua receives that commission from the Lord in verses 3 through 9, and then Joshua gathers and marshals the officers of the people, and they're supposed to go pass through the midst of the camp with instructions for the people. Now, now look at this. The, the officers, the leaders were this consistent voice of communicating the message, first from the Lord, then to Joshua, then to the officers of the people, and then to the people themselves. Get ready to do your part, they're saying. What are they calling them? They're calling them to take possession of the land that the Lord God was giving them to possess. God had made an ancient promise way back in Genesis chapter 12 to Abraham, and now the time is ripe to realize that promise. And so Joshua leads these men, these officers, to multiply and to reinforce God's message to his people. And, and what a powerful moment that must have been. Imagine the people, they've been encamped, they've been waiting, they've been wandering for 40 years, and they've been waiting for God to call them into action. And it was time. It was time to take their inheritance. And with one voice, they hear God's message from not only their leader, Joshua, but from all the leaders of the people. And I just imagine that there was a buzz. It was like, it was like a special, special time where people are ready and they're anxious and they're on their toes and the people respond. Here they are. The picture is painted. They're on the east side of the Jordan, the sunrise side, if you read the passage. And the bulk of the promised land is on the west side of the Jordan. And a couple of tribes have already settled there. They've gotten their allotment of land. And so Joshua and the leaders go to the people, they, these people that have already settled on the east side of the river. In fact, look at the passage, verse 12 there. The Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe 
of Manasseh have already received their inheritance, it would have been easy for them, it would have been tempting for them to sit out this battle. Hey, we're good. We've already got our spots. We've already got our land. Our homes are starting to be built and so on. We've already received our inheritance. But no, they respond positively. They respond ready to fight. Look, look at it there. Look at verses 12, 13, and 14. I think it's notable, just a, a side note for a second. In our day and age, when the world wants to blur the distinctions and responsibilities between men and women, look who Joshua calls forward to lead in, in verse 14. Joshua instructs your wives and your little ones and your livestock shall remain behind. Now this this is going to seem a little antiquated in our day and age. But the men of valor are called to go and to help their brothers. Now this is not the main point of the passage, but let me just pause for a second and challenge us as men here this morning at CBC. We need men of valor who will lead us in following God's plan. We, meet, we need men who will stand up for God even when they have nothing to directly, personally gain and benefit from their stand. We need men who will do that for their families and for their church and for the witness of the Lord. I'm very grateful for the women of our church, the women I've known throughout my life who are women of faith. They are powerful and foundational to the ministries that they serve in. But too often, men, we allow the, the, the women, our wives, the other women to take the lead and do the heavy lifting when it comes to spiritual things. Let's put a stop to that. Not that they can't lead, not that they can't be significant. We want them to continue to be. But let's us start to step to the front. Let's be men of valor. And Joshua calls these men of valor to do the work here. And then in verses 16 through 18, the focus shifts to the response of the whole nation. Look at what it says there. All that you have commanded us, this is the response of the people, all that you've commanded us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. I'm sure that was a great comfort to Joshua, knowing how they had obeyed Moses. Regardless, only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your commandments and disobeys your word, whatever you command him shall be put to death. Only be strong and courageous, the people say to their leader. Things didn't quite turn out the way they intended right here. They weren't quite so obedient. Never mind that they rewrote their own history. In that moment, the people were, were responsive and they were willing. And I think this is another ingredient in our recipe here for a successful transition. It requires people who are responsive to the Lord's message. The, the people were responding to Joshua's words, but more than that, the words that Joshua spoke came from the Lord. You can see how Joshua frames his message. 
it was God who was speaking to them and thereby speaking, speaking to him and thereby speaking to the people. And just note verses 13 and 15. It was God who was going to give the people rest in the land of promise. It was the Lord the people pledged to obey. And there are times where we hear an individual person speak and we just can't get beyond the messenger. I don't like that guy. I don't like the way he talks. I don't like his life. I don't like whatever. And we obviously want to choose men of character to be our leaders. But the messenger should not matter if you are convinced that he is speaking God's words to you. If he does, then you are obligated to respond for the Lord's sake, not for his. And there may be times like the Israelites that your every intention is to follow the Lord, but circumstances and sin and distraction cause you to wander away and and pursue your own paths. You really mean to do better, but you really also enjoy the other things that are distracting you. You need the help of God's Spirit to help follow Him in faithfulness. Um, Beyond following the Lord personally, you're called as part of the spiritual family to pitch in and to support others in their spiritual journey, right? Those three tribes, the Reubenites and the Gadites and the Manassehites, they had nothing to gain, but they pitched in and they helped and they responded to the call to help their brothers. That's where you see that team approach pay dividends. The leaders of the church serving and sacrificing on behalf of others and we need men and women to stand with us and lead and serve the church. I think I've said this probably in the last couple of weeks, but it bears repeating that we can't be a spiritual shopping center where people come for religious goods and services. Leaders provide and attenders consume. We're all called to serve one another. Now, initially in our little recipe for successful leadership, I said there were four ingredients, didn't I? Faithful veteran, courageous leader, a team, and a responsive people. But there's a fifth ingredient, I think, just like the really great dishes. There's this secret ingredient, and a great spiritual transition like we see in this passage has that secret ingredient, and I think it's it's God's presence. It's this sovereign work of God. But it shouldn't be a secret ingredient because all of the Bible points from beginning to end to God's work to bring about His purposes, as does this passage. And you probably caught the little hints along the way as we read the passage. Over and over again, it points to God's sovereign hand in leading His people. Look with me just for a second. I want to I draw your attention first to God's promises. Two times, verses 3 and verse 6. God draws his, the, the, the attention of, Moses, of Joshua, the attention of the people, he draws to the promises he had made to Moses and Abraham. And then, six additional times in this passage, God draws Joshua and the people's attention to this one specific promise. 
the land that I have given you. Six times. And in, in the book of Joshua, this is the key theme. It's the evidence that God is continuing to work his plan to redeem his people. This land that he has given them. And, and the book, you're probably familiar with it, maybe, goes on to record how the people conquer successfully and maybe not so successfully at some times, how the people conquer the promised land. This is God's promised rest, he says in verse 13. And part of the promise that God had given to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. And now, in Joshua, we see God making this promise come to reality. Because our God is a God who fulfills and keeps his promises. So let me ask you, as part of your story, what promises are you banking on God to keep in your life? Maybe you say to yourself, I, I, don't really, I don't really know. Go back to his word. It's full of them. And because God is a promise-keeping God, you can count on him to keep his promises. And so you mark a promise in his word and you say, I'm counting on you, God, because I know your character in keeping promises to your people. Not only his promises, but his presence as well. Three times, verses 5, 9, and 17, God vows to be with the people. That probably stood out to you. It stood out to me. I will not leave you or forsake you. The Lord your God is with you wherever you go, he says. And then in verse 17, the people claim God's promise for their leader, Joshua. See, God is ever-present. That's one of his characteristics that we talk about. He's always there, even when you and I don't see or sense him working. We read in Scripture, even when people don't recognize his hand directly at work, it is always behind the scenes if we look closely enough. So let me ask you, do you recognize God's presence in your own life? Are you counting on his promises? God is faithful. God is available and, and we have the privilege as his people to see his promises fulfilled today. In fact, think of this. You and I are the beneficiaries of this very promise that he's talking about, to bless the nations through the nation of Israel. That's ultimately the, the expression of that promise of the land is that then the people would fill the land and that they would be a blessing to the other nation. Nations. And in the New Testament, Jesus is that Israelite who brought God's promises and God's purposes to the Gentiles. You and I this morning, the Gentiles, are beneficiaries of that. Because Jesus came to bring peace to those who were near the nation of Israel and those who were far, the Gentile people. He came to minister not only to the nation of Israel, but to bring the good news of salvation to both the Jew and to the Gentile. And, and 
when we come together, you know, as a church and we talk about that threefold purpose adopted in and growing up and reaching out, this is central to our, our, our focus and our emphasis on being adopted in. You can't be part of the family. We want you to be part of the family of CBC, but you can't be part of the family at CBC unless you are first adopted into God's family. And if you don't understand that distinction, I just want to encourage you, talk to me, talk to one of the elders, talk to someone you came with this morning. Because that's a really significant distinction. And so we also talk about growing up then in Him. And as we grow up, our commission to be His witnesses becomes very, very clear. We are to take the good news of salvation, which we have received because of Jesus Christ, And we are to take that out into our world. As his followers, we get to be a part of that redemptive plan by reaching out to the people in our circle, to all the nations, starting with our circle. Because those are the people closest to us, friends and neighbors and family and co-workers. So as we talk about transitions and we wonder... How can a church be successful in transition? I would just remind you, let's look, let's look to the way God orchestrates thing, things, but let's not forget that secret in, ingredient. His hand, His work, His purposes, established before the foundation of the world, amazingly to use us as His plan unfolds. That's, that's what we're about. That's what we'll continue to be about, and I would invite you to join us in that. Let's pray. Father, this morning we we look at this passage and we say, you you were doing great things back in the day. Father, we long for you to do great things in our day. Father, you were doing great things through the nation of Israel, through Joshua. We long for you to do great things through CBC, through us. We know, God, that what that takes is for us to keep our eyes fixed on you, to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, and to join you where you are working. Father, I pray that we would be careful to uh, avoid the distractions And God, that we would see you clearly and that we would walk hand in hand with you according to your purposes. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast of Community Bible Church. Follow us on Facebook to keep up to date with all our latest content. Thank you.